Good. Yeah, you weren't. I got there that you, you weren't allowing me to unmute. Yeah, sorry. You're not allowed to talk anymore. <laughs> that that is a desperate situation for me to be in. <laughs> well, welcome to Preacher Lab for preachers just like you and I. And today, I have the gift of talking with Bishop Will Willimon. Uh, bishop Will Willimon is the bishop was the bishop of North, the North Alabama Conference. Was a dean of the Duke Chapel has written a ton of books you can find on Amazon, taught many people about preaching and leadership, and uh, it's just here with us, and it's just I'm grateful to have that conversation with with Bishop Willem on today. So, Bishop, thank you for joining me and, and talking to me about preaching today. Uh, great to be with you, and I like your alliterative name. <laughs> yeah. So, I know in the email you told me that you were the Will the Elder, and I laughed hysterically. Yeah. <laughs> well, I... I kind of want to refer to you as like Louisville, and I'm Big Will, but <laughs> people could take that wrong. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I want to just start off uh, just by, you know, asking you, I, I know there's a documentary that I watched. Uh, it's called <laughs> A Will to Preach, and it's fantastic, all about how you move from scripture and reading scripture and then moving to sermon, uh, and it's really well done. But what are some of the the little the details are little things that people wouldn't know about when you prepare a sermon. Uh, you know, I'm, I think I define preaching as uh, the preacher stands up in the middle of a conversation between God and God's people. And then you contribute to the conversation. And then you follow the conversation for the rest of the year <laughs> in and all. Uh, I'm in a situation now where I can't do that last part very well because I can and preach and then blow out and all. Um, but I think it's important that, you know, we, we preachers are not initiating the God encounter. Uh, we're just uh, contributing to it. Uh, we, we hope to foster do what we can to encourage uh, that God encounter. So I think that's important. And uh, on the other hand, uh, lest that sound too modest, I think preaching is the most important thing pastors do. And I've got arguments for that, uh, if you'd like to get into that. But um, <clears throat> it, it's just the nature of the Christian faith need proclamation. It's called euangelion, good news. And the, the word gospel, meaning good news, it, it implies it's news. It is not self-derived. Nobody is born believing that God is a Jew from Nazareth who lived briefly, died violently, and rose unexpectedly. Somebody's got to tell them that news. And so preachers participate that, model that, equip their congregations to do that. And so uh, I love being a part of it. It's, it's a privileged way to, to spend a life. Um, on the other hand, to me, the, the thing that makes preaching most interesting is uh, Jesus Christ, but also the most dangerous because uh, Jesus Christ, in my experience, tends to want to talk about stuff that people would rather not talk about. And also some of the stuff he has to say to people um, is stuff that 
I wouldn't say because I'm such a nice person. But, um, you know, demanding stuff, follow me. <laughs> and, uh, and he says that to a lot of people that I don't particularly approve of, uh, that I find difficult to get along with. Uh, that don't like my voice or my preaching. Well, so preaching is also has a kind of risk to it. Uh, but in my better moments, I admit I, that's, I love that. So why do you think preaching is such a, a, or the most important part for a pastor? Thank you for asking. <laughs> oh, I, got, I got kind of two main areas uh, for that. One is um, theological that uh, for reasons known only to the Lord, faith comes not from long walks in the woods or delving into your own psyche or sitting alone, uh, you know, in the quiet of your study. Uh, faith comes from hearing, quoting Paul on that, as you know. And uh, there's just something built right into this particular kind of faith that is acoustical. It's auditory, and Jesus preaching. What was Jesus' main job? Uh, he he talked. He he announced. He proclaimed, and so uh, uh, it's just built right into the Christian faith. Is uh, I mean, luckily we got a God that, if Scripture be believed, uh, loves to talk and loves to create, and then tell everybody all about it, <laughs> and then loves to have us come back. And I love that, you know, in scripture, that those wonderful moments, I mean, Jeremiah comes to mind where Jeremiah gets mad at the Lord and says, I didn't want to do this to start with. I told you I didn't. Uh, you told me that you would stick with me. Why am I being persecuted and in prison? I, I hate you. I don't want to talk to you anymore. And the Lord says, I should have never chosen a loser like you to be my prophet. What was I thinking? And then the Lord storms off, Jeremiah storms off. Then there's a little break in my text and says, and now the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. <laughs> it's just the nature of our Lord to, to keep resuming the conversation, to keep saying to us, in effect, I know this is a bad time for you, and I know you don't want to talk about it and all, and this is painful, but uh, let's talk. Well, preaching participates in that wonderful dynamic of who God is. Our God is loquacious and revealing and talkative. Um, on the other hand, I could say that preaching is important, particularly in the present moment. We've got a lot of people who are confused uh, about the faith, who can't tell the difference between a Christian and your average thinking, caring, sensitive, emotionally available American. Uh, there's a difference. Who can't tell the difference between USA Inc. and, and the Kingdom of God? Okay, well, how, how do you discern that that being a Christian is to be somebody who's answerable to a peculiar account of what's going on, a story, and all, uh, otherwise known as Jesus Christ? Um, that's got to be through preaching. And uh, I was with a, a group of Episcopal clergy in Atlanta the other day. And one of them asked me, uh, you know, are, what, what about the length of sermons? And I said, well, let me just say, because you're Episcopalians, you probably should be preaching longer than you are. But, <laughs> but 
Uh, I, I said, I think sermons are getting shorter and they're getting longer. And the primary factor in that is context, the congregational context. And then I kind of surprised him by saying, the older your congregation, median age, uh, the shorter the sermons can be. Because you're kind of talking to people, yeah, I've, I've heard that before. Yeah, I know Luke 15. Yeah, I got it. Um, well, like at Mandarin, I'm assuming you got a, a fairly young congregation, uh, right? It's a it's a mixture. It's a mixture. Okay, it's a mixture. Good. I, and, and be kind to older people. Uh, but um, the the we we the people the United Methodist Church has had a lot of trouble reaching. Many of them are people who haven't heard. Uh, they they weren't formed. And the nicest thing about them, they'll sit for instruction. And I've noticed when I'm invited, I was in a hip congregation before COVID in uh, Manhattan. And uh, the young pastor told me, by the way, they're going to want uh, a, 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 a substantial teaching. And I said, sermon? We, we don't use that word, um, but it, it's a teaching. And I said, what does that mean? He says, I'm talking 40, 45 minutes. Oh, wow. I said, oh. So I took two of my sermons, jammed them together <laughs> on a stool with a sweater trying to look young and, uh, and, and did this for them. And, and I tell you, 350, I'd say, maybe more, uh, 20-somethings in Manhattan in a church they had rented from the Lutheran congregation that had died, uh, three o'clock on Sunday afternoon of the Super Bowl. Uh, and there they were. So um, I, think, I think sermons should be as long as they need to be. Um, and sometimes the Christian truth that we preachers have got to get across, um, you know, it was going to take some time. So that, that interests me. Do you, do you find that it sounds like where you go kind of helps shape your sermon, um, shapes how are you going to speak about it? How are you going to talk about it? Obviously, the length of that particular sermon. How do how, how do you balance that with what you feel like God is calling you to say? And it might be uh, different than what the context is calling for. You know, I don't know. I'm in a way, I, I think I do what pastors do. You, you try to figure out how, how can I talk in such a way that I might get heard? Uh, how can I, um, engage the maximum number of people, and how can I be true to what I'm hearing Scripture say, and how can I do what I think Scripture's trying to do? So all that gets mixed into it, and I'm, I'm preaching in a little uh, rural church uh, this Sunday, and um, the, uh, the pastors told me uh, these are mostly older people, uh, there and I said, well, it's Methodist Church, yeah. Uh, and um, you know, uh, they really appreciate it if you can be biblical. I said, okay, great. And and I'll anyway, I'm I'm sure I'm adapting my speech to it. Um, and um, but I love those moments 
when pastors are kind of clear, you know, I'd love to have given you a kind of short, manageable sermon this morning. I'm sorry, people. We're in the book of Job. Uh, I, I got, th this is so misunderstood, and I want to do what I can to help you understand this. It's going to take some time. My late friend, Peter Gomes, uh, minister of Memorial Church at Harvard, uh, stood up in Duke Chapel as a guest preacher and he began a sermon. I know uh, he had a British accent, even though he was from Massachusetts. I know that many of you have busy things you're planning this afternoon. And you have things, maybe you have a golf tee off time a little later so that you have other things you, that you're planning on. And you're hoping that whatever I do, I'll do quickly and then get out of here. Well, I'm sorry. It's Trinity Sunday. And because this is Duke University Chapel, I'm sure that most of you are ignorant of the Trinity. That's all right. Give me 40 minutes and you're going to know a whole lot more than you knew when you came here. And it's going to take me 40 minutes to do it. So just settle down. It's going to take 40 minutes. Anyway, the congregation was hooked. Yeah, uh, You know, they were just kind of, and I, I like that. And um, what congregations find annoying is for it to be a kind of long sermon. Because the pastor hasn't spent more time in preparing it, the pastor is unsure of just what it is she, he wants to say. And, and that, that's annoying. And one of the most frequent criticisms I hear about sermons from lay people is that it's not clear. I couldn't tell exactly what it was that was wanted to be communicated. <clears throat> so uh, I preached for a month in a church in uh, Asheville, North Carolina, First Baptist Church, uh, this summer. And the team, the pastor was off on a sabbatical. The, uh, the team said, uh, we need you to preach 14 minutes, no longer. If you preach longer than 14 minutes, it's going to mess up the whole minute service that we've done special for COVID and everything. So I preached four Sundays, 14 minutes. And my wife, Patsy, said, your sermons had much more impact. You got in there, you hit them in the stomach, and then you left. And that it was what, and, and um, sometimes we preachers preach longer because we don't trust the congregation to get it. Plus, we don't trust the Holy Spirit to, to work with them. And, and work it up. And uh, I kind of love that discipline of preaching 14 minutes because, uh, you know, I was able to say, there's some complicated matters here, and I could explain them to you. <laughs> but unfortunately, y'all have only given me 14 minutes. So in 14 minutes, I'm just going to have to lay this stuff out for you, and you people will have to do the work at home, okay, the heavy lifting. But I could, I could do better, but only in 14 minutes. This is kind of wonderful. Uh, how long do you preach, uh, Will? Uh, about 20, 25. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I go about 20, normally. I, you know, I'm, I've, I've noticed that it's not so much about the time. It's about how interesting and how engaging and, like you said, how clear somebody is. Because yeah. I, can, I can listen to somebody talk on a podcast for an hour and a half. If it's interesting and engaging and is going somewhere, it keeps me hooked. I, right. I, it's not it's not about the time. It's about how interesting and engaging or how boring and not interesting Amen. and abstract some preacher might be. Because sometimes there are preachers that, yeah, 
if this feels like this is 45 minutes because this is just not going anywhere because they haven't done I, the uh, I was in second Corinthians uh, a couple of weeks ago and I just marveled as a Christian communicator. I just marveled at how much Paul packed into that. And he, and he used such artistry, even though Paul lied and said, I'm not, I don't do fancy uh, highfalutin speech. I just preach Jesus Christ, him crucified. Well, he was so skilled. He, he took us, you know, from a letter into the courtroom and said, now you say, but, but let me, let me counter. I say, you know, it was wonderful. Well, uh, and I thought maybe we ought to thank God. Paul maybe was writing all this with his own hand. And so his hand's getting tired. He, he gets down to the core, the kernel. And um, so, you know, I've noticed, I've, I've always been a big fan of TED Talks and have enjoyed those. But I found myself in, in recent years getting tired of them. Hmm. They all have a kind of, hey, let me come out here. No notes. Full frontal just whop you with this and then get out of here. And the TED talk ends with my saying, well, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's a lot more that ought to be said here. Uh, you, you should have better qualified that statement uh, that you just made. Um, that, that's kind of reckless. Just saying that, and there's also a sense about uh, you're a very busy person. I'm not going to take any of your time. And what I'm talking about is you've never had anybody simplified as well as I have, so I'm going to hit you with it, and then we'll be done. Well, maybe Christian communicators have got to say, you know, have you ever wondered why bad things happen to good people? Wow, I have too. Uh, this this may take a while, people, it, you know, to think about this, because I don't want to insult your own struggles by making it simpler than it really is. Yeah. And I love how you started by talking about it's a con you're standing up in the middle of a conversation because mm -hmm. I mean, if you're a pastor in a local church, you're going to be speaking to a lot of these same people week after week after year after year. And on one hand for, I guess for you, when you go and guest preach, this is your one time that you might get a chance to speak to these people. So you want to say as much as you can in the most succinct yeah. way possible. And they've, they've flown you into Jacksonville or something. So yeah. Uh, yeah. I said, you know, $500 ticket for that. Come on. Um, the uh, that, That's true. But I must say, here's a prejudice of mine. I think preaching is supposed to be done only by people who are pastors. Uh, and I say that as somebody who's rarely, I mean, never a pastor anymore. I, I blow in, I blow off, and then I blow out. Um, well, the... Um, what you just described, I mean, the luxury, the joy of Sunday after Sunday, the joy of taking a book of the Bible and going straight through it, and uh, Sunday after Sunday, um, the joy of someone coming out. Uh, someone spoke to me last Sunday. I, I was in a church, and they came out and said, uh, I was really disturbed by your statement, so-and-so. And I said, oh, oh, oh I'm, well, maybe you misheard me or maybe. And I wanted so badly to be 
the pastor. I, I wanted so badly to say to her, would you ask your pastor to invite me back next Sunday? Or uh, if, if that had happened to me as a pastor, which it often did, I took it as a sign that I had really succeeded in preaching. And and the wonder, the, it's so what a joy to be able to say to somebody, you know, that is a great question. Uh, this is, I can't, I can't respond to it now. You got time for a cup of coffee Monday morning. Uh, so, and, and I'll add to that. I think the pastor is somebody who knows people down deep. Um, the, the, the pastor is, they, and, and, and also they know you. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I never preach on how to have a successful marriage, you know, unless I'm on the road. Uh, without Patsy, uh, you know they they and and that's a wonderful interactive kind of thing. I mean, you, for instance, young. I, I bet you are the only window many of your members have to a younger generation and th- their perspective. And I, and I bet they would tell me, I love that. He reminds me of my smart mouth grandson. <laughs> that's that's great. Um, so I, I, also, I I love the way that pastors, as they preach, you've got the scripture, uh, with its demands, but you've also got the congregation whom you know down deep, their own struggles and all. I had to preach in Iona, Scotland this fall for their 1700th anniversary, um, and they said, just take the lectionary, just take the preach on the gospel for the day, please. It's Jesus' own marriage after divorce in Mark. And I'm thinking, wow, oh man. And, and I thought of all the times I preached on that passage with joy in my local congregation. Because, and it was like, this is a text, I'm sorry just should not be preached by anybody but your pastor. Mm-hmm. And so knows you and the reason you got a divorce, and the reason that you got, you know, all that, um, uh, the reason you were hurt by divorce, whatever. Um, they, so I, I just think uh, when pastors stand up to preach, uh, yeah, we pay attention to what we say because we'd like to be heard. And we know within the congregation there are there are those lives of quiet desperation there, and in fact, I think one of the challenges as a pastor who's preaching is not to get completely captured by the congregation. Uh, sometimes on Sunday, I have an image of myself uh, as a pastor climbing up out of the tug and pull and muck and mire of the congregation and the heartache and the pain and all, and having to stand up and preach uh, with Jesus. And I had that experience of being in a congregation and saying, uh, I was preaching on discipleship, calling disciples. And I said, now I'm a guest here, and I know that there are those of you who have got stage four cancer right now. I know there are those of you going through marital distress and desolation. I know there are those of you who are just trying to make it through mid-high with, with all the abuse and all you're getting. Um, and, and my heart goes out to you in those situations. 
but I'm not sure Jesus cares. <laughs> Sense of desire. I think he calls you anyway. He loves to call screwed up people in the midst of their pain and struggle and say, follow me. And it's not good enough to say, well, wait till I get through my chemotherapy before I become a witness to you. No, Jesus just says, he says, follow me. So it, it, it was a moment to admit that, um, that scripture kind of lifts us up sometimes out of the, the mire of congregational aches and pains and struggles. Okay. So it's, you have a way of just hearing you preach and just hearing some of these stories. You have a way of just acknowledging what's happening in the room. You have a way of acknowledging kind of the struggle that we all have, but you have a way of like, I wouldn't say creating conflict, conflict, but you kind of elevate scripture <laughs> and what Jesus has, but you have a way of like getting away with it. I, I don't know if anybody's told you that, but you have like a way of, if anybody said that besides you, they would be, they would be crucified themselves. Um, I have heard that. Uh, Dean Greg Jones said after a sermon I preached at a Methodist conference, he said, they were laughing at you. They were laughing with you. They loved it. They would crucify me for that. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I think God maybe has given me a gift of humor, which my wife doesn't like people encouraging in me. Um, and, and so humor can be a, a great way of diffusing and all. I think humor is a, me, theologically, it's a great way of kind of seeing ourselves as God sees us sometimes, I hope. It's called mercy. Um, I also say to pastors, in the present moment, pastors have said things like, uh, my church is just split right down the middle, red and blue. They, I, there's a list they, they've got. They could be the list, and I know what's on it, of words I can't use. I referred to January 6th insurrection. Two people left my church. Over oh, use calling that an insurrection, and and uh, and uh, yeah yeah, I know there's that difficulty. On the other hand, I, I want pastors to also be sensitive to all those people who are either sitting out there in the pew or who have left out of boredom or because nothing new is ever said or nothing that you got to get dressed and come down here at an inconvenient time of the week to hear. Uh, how about those people? Yeah. So I guess being in ministry as long as I have, there's been those moments when I saw myself as stepping out and venturing to say something that I didn't think people wanted to hear. And um, only to have a layperson say to me, thank God you said it. Yeah. Uh, I've been waiting for some instruction on that. Oh, yes. Or uh, I come here to get some guidance. I'm not good at this kind of stuff. Uh and uh, thank you for the encouragement. So uh, also, I'm old, but when I came into ministry in South Carolina, 1971, um, the bishop couldn't find me any Methodist churches that weren't filled with white racist people. I asked for one that was as enlightened as I was, and the bishop said, uh, forget it. Um, well, so don't, so when pastors now will say, I've never, never seen more America more divided, this is just so 
it's so dangerous to speak out. People don't like controversy. And I said, yeah, well, you're talking to the wrong person. I'm from South Carolina and I was there in the seventies and I do, but, but more than that, I just think Jesus Christ, I got to preach on Luke four, Jesus coming back to his hometown synagogue in Nazareth in the divinity school uh, two weeks ago. And I said to them, I just, could you just think about this? I just want you to think about this. Just, are you sure you want to get in that pulpit with Jesus? I mean, look at the response he got. And I said, now he walked through the middle of them. They, the congregation tried to throw him over a cliff, but, um, and they didn't succeed. But just about 15 chapters later, it, they succeed. They get organized. And, um, but on the other hand, what a great way to make a living because you never know with Jesus if people are going to say, thank you. Uh, I've been waiting for that word. Or if they say, don't you ever talk about that again. Uh, yeah, I remember I did, I did a sermon on um, the goodness of being human and, and kind of talking about sin as not being the, as being the marring of God, but us being having that original blessing versus original curse, original sin, yeah. and talked about heaven and hell and kind of did this three-week series about sin, heaven, hell, talking about these really hard things. And I had a I had a woman come up to me the Wednesday after, and she said, you know, I really just, I don't understand where you're coming from. And I was really offended by what you said. And I feel like you're a heretic. Uh, and she then she, she, we had a conversation. She said, well, you know, I, I still don't understand, um, but at least you talked about it. And that's nice. What more could we ask? Uh, yeah. It's, Thank you. We, we get to talk about these holy, holy, yeah. sacred things that are bigger than just, you know, NFL football. And we can talk about these yeah. large things that are spiritual nature. Not to say that NFL football is not, but these large things that people are asking <laughs> questions about. Um, people and are I wondering. I love the way that you and your church have created a safe enough trusting space that a person came out and said, Hey, preacher, uh, that bothered me. Or uh, I'm just worried. That sounded like heresy to me. <laughs> uh, well, I think what an achievement. Uh, we preachers are not that easy to come back at yeah. and, and and talk about, too. And so that's a victory. And uh, to promote that kind of conversation. And I've said to lay people, sometimes they push back on this, but I say a lot of y'all are getting the preaching you deserve. When's the last time you ever said you're a preacher? You know, I bet that was hard for you to preach. Or oh, yeah. you really worked on that. Or you seem to be present in that sermon. Thanks. Oh, yeah. Or, uh, wow, that that was impressive. I disagree with you, I think, totally. But I really like you taking us seriously and laying stuff on us. And um, I've had enough. Of, of that kind of response from lay people that I makes me wonder, gee, are we, uh, yeah. The, yeah. Again, I, I don't think the you know purpose of preaching is to offend people, upset people. I think it's to preach Jesus Christ. But Lord, uh, then you get Jesus. Uh, well, we all know how his ministry ended. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So when you're, when you're preaching, as a guest preacher or even 
do you have this kind of feeling? Do you have this feeling in the room of how how it's going? Do you have this kind of when you're present in your preaching, you can kind of feel the conversation, the dialogue with people. Uh, can you notice kind of things that are going on in the room? If you know hands are crossed, yeah. or you know, not as much as I'd like, but but I think you do. You preach, and you get to know a congregation. I've noticed one thing I do is I have some people that become my monitors or my gauges. Uh, my first church, I had I was retired librarian, a very literate woman. And she would sit there just like stone. But then when I would get on something, she would find interesting or challenging or poetic. She would lean forward like this. And I would I'd glance over there. And when I could get a lean forward, I would say, um, um, let me say just a bit more about that. And she would lean forward more, and I was, or um, I remember coming out of a church I was visiting in, and this family came out and said, "Oh, we liked your sermon and all." Well, they had a sullen teenager with them, which which may be a tautology, but uh, and I said, "Well, thank you, thank you." But I looked at the teenager and I said. I want to thank you, most of all, anybody here today. I said, when you came in, it was so obvious you didn't want to be here and you didn't want to seen, be seen as being here. So immediately I just took you as the target for my sermon. And I said, I redid the whole first part of my sermon in an attempt to grab you. And I said, I don't know how perceptive you are and all, but I got you. I said, I watched you. And don't lie about it. I watched you, and you you turned toward me. I watched you, and then my goal was to keep you with me the whole sermon. I don't care about the rest of the congregation, whether they liked it or not. But I, I said, how old are you? And he said, 16. And I said, I am good. I, I'm really good. <laughs> well, and I think um, you can, uh, uh, yeah. I'm so impressed. Did y'all do Zoom worship, you know, during COVID? Yeah, yeah, Facebook and all those things, yeah. And I think a lot of preachers tell me that that convinced them preaching is such a visual experience. And when you're preaching and you can't see anybody, uh, it really is is different, uh, you know. And I think it's different because... Preaching is a, we're constantly receiving feedback. And I used to be disappointed when I would have like African-American preacher friends preach in my church. And they would come out saying, oh, that's a stiff congregation. Oh, that's cold. And I said, you you just don't know how white people have a good time. I said, they were with you today. I said, trust me, trust me. They were with you. And they said, really? Wow. I I missed it, you know. I said, "Well, you don't know my cultural and you know." So, what when when you think about kind of new preachers or seminary students, what do you think is kind of the the greatest stumbling block that seminarians or new preachers kind of step into? That if you could tell them, "Hey, avoid that one hole," what would be that that hole? 
maybe it's not letting scripture determine your sermon, uh, both the content, the style, the, the presentation of the sermon that I think Christian preaching ought to try to do what the text we think is doing. And it, it ought to try to do it like the text does it. If, you know, if, if Jesus tells a story, a parable, I think, hey, it's a good that, that uh, my sermon ought to be narrative-like. Mm -hmm. Jesus rips forth with judgment and condemnation, which he does more times than we admit. Um, we ought to let that determine the conversation. On the other hand, when, um, when Paul is busy blessing a congregation with uh, a doxology saying, uh, I just give thanks to God all the time for you. That's usually softening them up to lower the boom. <laughs> later, but uh, you are just have every spiritual gift. You're just great now. Well, then the sermon becomes, uh, Paul expresses gratitude for the Galatians. Uh, are we grateful? When is the last time you really said thank you to somebody? No, no. You know, so we turn good news into bad news. We turn what God is doing into an assignment for what you're supposed to do. So I think scripture is a wonderful... Um, I heard a sermon uh, Cynthia Hale preached Duke Chapel uh, Sunday on Psalm 1, which, you know, I'm sorry, I, I, I just, I've never liked Psalm 1. It's kind of like being on a long road trip with your mother. And, uh, you know, do this, do that, don't do that. No, stop that, put that down, don't drink that. You know, anyway, uh, well, Cynthia just preached it as this way of life, leads to good things, to, to, to a good life. I'm sorry, that way of life is foolishness. Uh, uh, to be a tree planted by the rivers. You know, anyway, she just unashamedly preached, uh, if you choose and live a good way, good comes to you. If you live another way, bad comes to you. You know, and I, I kind of loved it that she just stood and preached that psalm. And if somebody walks out and says, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Well, I've known a lot of good people who've had really miserable lives. And I, uh, she'd probably say, oh, I, maybe we could talk more about that. But I, I, it was just kind of refreshing to see. And uh, she didn't spend any time beating us over the head for our social attitudes or aren't you ashamed of yourselves voting for who you did the last election or anything like that. Uh, she didn't find that in the scripture, so she didn't talk about it in the sermon. I, I thought that was wonderful. Yeah. Okay. I So I have to ask, when I've heard you preach, I want to talk a little about the ending. Because when you okay. end your sermon... There's no, oftentimes there's no, there's no prayer. There's no, this is what, this is a recap of the sermon. You just kind of say, and that's what you just said. It's like a mic drop moment. Um, what, what kind of brought you to that? And how have you kind of seen the response of others? I think I was very influenced by Fred Craddock, uh, who uh, just did some memorable, masterful moments like that, where he would leave with a question or leave by saying, uh, I'm, you know, I thought about this, I thought about that, maybe it's this, maybe it's that. 
I don't know. Do you? And that'd be the end of the sermon. <laughs> and um, I'm impressed by, how many, for instance, parables. How many of Jesus' parables have no endings? Uh-huh. They just end. And we don't know whether the boys lived happily ever after with their daddy. Um, we doubt it. Uh, we, we don't know if the prodigal son straightened up and uh, uh, took out his earring and you know, <laughs> law school. We don't know. And sometimes an in, ending abruptly, and again, I think it's it's key, that'll be key to scripture. Does Paul tie it all up in a bow very nicely? If, if Paul does, then go for it. But rarely does Paul do that. Uh, but um, I think um, it gives room for people. It gives room for the Holy Spirit work. It gives, it, it trusts people to say, and, and then when some yokel says to you at the door after, after the service, you know, well, you just didn't really end that sermon, did you? You didn't tell us what to do or anything. I said, well, that's why you get paid the big bucks. I get paid my salary because you have a tougher job. you got to work with Jesus out in the world. All yeah. I can perform with Jesus here in his church. And, and, and why would I know what you should do? I've never had a job where you had to show up, do heavy lifting and all. Uh, I, all I've done is being a preacher. So let me know if you get this this week, let me know. That'd be good. And, um, you know, I must say sometimes it's been said, I overdo that. And sometimes Stanley Harris one time said to me, you trust your congregation way too much <laughs> in your preaching, <laughs> in that um, that you ought to work a little harder in explanation, explication. Uh, and I, I think that's a good word. That that could easily be. On the other hand, again, if I were a pastor and someone would say, but you didn't say, uh, well, how about this? Uh, and I say, wow, we're rolling now. Are you coming to the Wednesday night discussion group? You should, because that'd be a great thing for us to tackle. You, you know, so. Yeah, I love it. I, you you have this surprising way about preaching. Um, the stories that you tell, we might say it's going to end this way, but you just flip it upside down. No, 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 it's not going in that direction. And the endings just, I mean, you're just a very surprising preacher that keeps, at least when I've watched and heard, it, it keeps you captivated and engaged, and then it allows you to kind of take it further than the, the hearer to take it further than even the preacher thought about. And I just think oh, I, I think that's. I hope beautiful. you're right. I love that. I, and again, I think Jesus. Uh, I I remember I used to have an old professor uh, who had attended Duke Chapel, and and he would say after a guest preacher he didn't say this much after my preaching, but he would say, uh, "Well, I." I thought uh, the sermon today was um, correct, <laughs> but that's all one could say. <laughs> and uh, I think as Wesleyans, we we're conversionists. We we believe that there ought to be a kind of impact. We believe that, in some sense, you ought to be. It's it's good to be different after a sermon. Uh, maybe the difference is just looking at something a different way, or. Or maybe the difference is I, I had some kind of experience that, that I can't describe, but something happened. And I, so I think sermons are right to, to, to want people to get no insight 
Um, John Calvin said, you know, sermons are twice born, once in the study, once in the pulpit. Well, and through Tom Long, I've said, uh, I think a, a preacher goes to scripture hoping to make a discovery. And, you know, discoveries are interesting. And discoveries kind of force you to share them. So you go to scripture saying, okay, scripture, show me something. Show me something I didn't know, surprise me. Um, and then you get into the pulpit and you recapitulate the journey you went on to discovery, offering the congregation the opportunity to make that discovery. And it's kind of like you, you come out of a cave, you, you go into a cave with a flashlight, and you look around and you see something. Then you run back out of the cave, scripture, and you say, hey, hey, guess what I saw? I mean, come, come here. Let me let me retrace the steps I went on that you get to go on. And um and and you you have discoveries that way too. I remember uh preaching from Proverbs uh one fall and saying to the students, you know, I, I don't like Proverbs, uh, the book of Proverbs, and pick up your socks and take precautions on dates and all that kind of stuff. And and um, uh, but uh, let's stick with it. Better than silver or gold is a good reputation. All right, I said you get this kind of stuff. You know, put it on a poster. You know, uh, better than silver or gold is a good reputation. It sounds like stuff old guys are always telling young guys. And I, I said, but then it occurred to me nobody at Duke University believes that, and none of you came here because you believe that silver or gold is not as it is not as good as other human goods like a good person or something. anyway i and and it um i was kind of surprised at wow here's this dull establishmentarian literature proverbs and yet it with the work of the holy spirit it can be kind of it can be a bombshell it can be a revolution mm-hmm. and a a student came out and said, thank you for that sermon. I was such a comfort. And I said, really? <laughs> I was kind of aiming to be a little offensive with it, but you found it comforting. What did you find comforting about it? He said, I'm going to call my father tonight and tell him that I'm not going to law school. I'm, I'm going into teaching. And uh, if he doesn't like it, he can go to hell. And I said, well, don't don't mention where you were at 11 o'clock. <laughs> I mean, keep me out of this stuff with your dad, okay? Um, but so to preach is to be, we get to work for a really interesting God that loves to talk and loves to talk to the wrong people and loves to say things people would never say to themselves. And I would never say to them. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, I think that's a good place to end. Oh, okay. Um, But I have, I have one final question. Um, and it's, it's a fun question. What do you think has been the most impactful book you've read in the last six months? Um, fiction, nonfiction, children's book, commentary. What's been that one book that's been really meaningful to you? Yeah, you know, I think during COVID, uh, I've, to try to abuse myself, I've, I've gone back and, you know, read all those books that they made you buy in college, you know, who reads them? Um, and I, I had a class in Russian lit. You know, so you got this shelf, huge 
ridiculously long Russian novels. Uh, so I'm not bragging. I'm, I'm kind of, but I, I went back and uh, for the first time really read. Uh, I had the Monarch Review outlines got me through the class, but I didn't. But I read uh, uh, the Brothers Karamazov, oh. and I tried to read that again a couple of times in life. But I thought, you know, who has <laughs> who's got enough time to take all couple of weeks to read this thing? Anyway, it, it had a powerful impact on me, and. I think the impact was, thank you, Art. Life really is complicated, and so are people. And some of the worst people are people that you see love in, that you see value. And some of the best people are people that you would shoot yourself if you had to spend an evening with them in a bar or something. Yeah, it, it, I don't know, just, just masterful. And it's too long, but... It's too long for a reason. I think it was to say, you know, hey, read my book and and I will bet I will entice you into another world that that I I will you won't be the same kind of person when you climb out of my book as you were when you climbed in. And in a way, I, when I was trying to figure out why did I get so much out of this book, what. I, which I can't describe very well. And what did it do? To, I think it's because I'm a preacher. And <laughs> here, here's this writer that does, and I wanted to say um, to Dostoevsky, you know, te teach me how to do that because I want to do that every Sunday to a congregation. Oh, yeah. I want to just talk them into a little sermon and, I, and then I want God to jump them. And well. Oh, yeah. That's, that's, oh, that's beautiful. Well, Bishop Willimon, thank you for your time, for, for sharing yeah, your thoughts. Will Wold and Will Wold <laughs> yeah. on the world or something. Yeah, all, all these W's. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks for joining me today okay. and sharing your thoughts. Thank you.